Okay, we have another episode. It's me and Derek, as Fanon. And today we're going to cover this topic is would Lenin or Stalin and or support the idea of decolonization if they were alive, right? Um, and I, I, for the last month, I've been going through all my stuff, going through all my notes, and I created a document that I'm going to put on the share drive. Um, and it has, uh, I, you know, there's 10 different topics on here. Number one is contradictions. Very, uh, kind of, number one is contradictions vary and, and change. Number two is on self-determination. Number three is on, um, on smashing the bourgeois state and a new state. Um, number four is on chauvinism. Number five is on annexation. Number six is on autonomy. Number seven is on centralism. Number eight is on population. Number nine is on national antipathies. Number number ten is uh, colonization. And the sources that I, <clears throat> I I pulled out, they were from the rights of nations to self determination by Lenin, self determination of nations by Lenin. The Revolutionary Proletariat and the Right of Nations to Self-Determination by Lenin. The discussion on self-determination summed up by Lenin. The Socialist Revolution and the Rights of Nations to Self-Determination thesis by Lenin. State and Revolution by Lenin. What is to be done by Lenin. Imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism by Lenin. Left-wing communism by Lenin. Marxism and the National Question by Stalin, Foundations of Leninism by Stalin. Those are the everything that I'm going to, um, uh, what up? Okay, so we also have Victor here. He just came in. Uh, so the first topic we're gonna talk about, so what we're gonna do is read one or two quotes. I have this document that I'm gonna post in the share drive. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a new folder called documents, <laughs> and then I'm gonna post this document with quotes that I just pulled out um, of you know all these works sources, and I'm going to like you know like I said, um, post in the chat. Okay, sixty one. So the reason I created this document is I was getting exhausted, like exhausted by like this pet socks, right? And like as we stated before. On this podcast with you know with Derek with with everybody that came on the podcast with with Victor with everybody that it seems like sellers read these things so I, I guys you know like read off everything you know I think it's like ten different eleven different sources um, I think it's like ten by Lenin and like two by Stalin right and you know and they don't understand it's like they read these things and they don't understand it themselves. But like, you know, like I went, I went back, I read to, you know, I went to the highlighted stuff, my notes, I actually reread everything, you know, this last month. And I was just like, oh, I missed some stuff, you know, because when you're reading this stuff, and I, I saw this within myself, I read this stuff, I read this time around, I read stuff specifically looking for topics on colonization, right? So when I went, went into my notes, I noticed I didn't highlight much about colonization back then. So when I reread it, I was like, oh, I missed that, right? So it, to me, it makes, it kind of makes sense that settlers would read these sources and then not 
think about the, the you know the, the colonial question, you know, the on topic of the contradiction of colonization because they that's not they have a bias, right? They, they don't know about it. So is it ignorant bias? And I think um, one of these quotes, Lenin talks about that. Like it, he says, like either they're ignorant or they're being purposefully misleading, right? So settlers fall into one of these one of these two categories, right? And I would like to think they're purposely biased, but you know, some 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 of them are pretty um, misleading, right? And they know they 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 know better, right? So. The first topic is on contradictions, very changed. So I think, Victor, do you want to read number three, quote three? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you, do you want to, um, yeah, I was going to say, do you want to pull it up on the screen or do you want me to pull it up? Because I have the document too. Yeah, um, you, you pull just, it up. <clears throat> just be, all right, I, I'm going to pull it up here. I have it, I have it on the screen. So I don't know if you can see it or do you need. Here, wait, let me, uh, <laughs> let me turn my device here. Oh, I can actually, I can actually move the screen. Okay, that's nice. All right, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> I'm terminally boomer. Uh, one of the things I want to suggest is that for people who are looking to, um, who are looking to download this document, um, <clears throat> one of the nice things that you can do is if you have a phone, and you have the official Microsoft Word mobile app, it will read the document to you. All you have to do is keep your screen lit. So maybe, you know, if you have your phone set to turn off, if it's being untouched for 15 seconds, maybe set, switch that to 30 minutes. Um, that, know, that, brings, no, that brings up another topic is that if, since, you know, I have the shared drive, right? And people mm -hmm. can do the same thing on their laptop, on their phone with the PDFs. Right, yeah. they can they can just listen to the books. So they have a whole ton. Like I know people are like, oh, I have a trouble reading. Me too. But now with technology, which is fucking amazing, like now you can listen to all these books in a shared drive and learn from it. Right. And yeah. what I like doing is having the book in front of me and listening. So, so I listen to it like on like one one point seven five or times two speed, and I just go through that shit. Right, like it's like super fucking fast. Right. Mm -hmm. And because some of this stuff, like it's just it's, I can understand reading Lenin if people is because a lot there's a lot of history and there's a lot of like um he actually in, in March 2, he actually addresses people. He's like, Oh, this person's an idiot, oh that person doesn't know what they're talking about. Like it's just a lot of that. And if you don't know the back the backdrop to this, it's kind of like what the fuck's he talking about? So they do kind of like side rant a lot, which is normal within Marxism. They're addressing the 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 shit within their time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, but I think, yeah, I think, yeah, go ahead. Read quote three. This is, this is about contradictions change. So go ahead. All right. Can you hear me well? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. During the last two decades, the national question has undergone a number of very important changes. The national question in a period of the second international and the national question in the period of Leninism are far from being the same thing. They differ profoundly from each other, not only in their scope, but also in their intrinsic character. Formerly, the national question was usually confined to a narrow circle of questions concerning primarily civilized nationalities, civilized in quotation. The Irish, the Hungarians, the Poles, the Finns, the Serbs, and several other European nationalities. 
That was the circle of unequal peoples in whose destinies the leaders of the Second International were interested. Scores and hundreds of millions of Asiatic and African peoples, and of course Lenin doesn't mention, but also indigenous peoples of North and South America and Australia, uh, who are suffering national oppression in its most savage and cruel form, usually uh, remained outside of their field of vision. They hesitated to put white and black, quote-unquote civilized and quote-unquote uncivilized, on the same plane. Two or three meaningless, lukewarm resolutions, which carefully evaded the question of liberating the colonies, that was all the leaders of the Second International could boast of. Now we can say that this duplicity and half-heatedness, uh, that might be half-heartedness, there might be a typo there, uh, in dealing with the national question has been brought to an end. Leninism laid bare this crying incongruity, broke down the wall between whites and blacks, between the Europeans and Asiatic people, between the quote-unquote civilized and the quote-unquote uncivilized slaves of imperialism, and thus linked the national question with the question of the colonies. The national question was thereby transformed from a particular and internal state problem into a general and international problem, into a world problem of emancipating the oppressed peoples in the dependent countries and colonies from the yoke of imperialism. Formerly, the principle of self-determination of nations was usually misrepresented, and not infrequently, it was narrowed down to the idea of the right of nations to autonomy. Certain leaders of the Second International even went so far as to turn the right of self-determination into the right of cultural autonomy, i.e., the right of oppressed nations to have their own cultural institutions, leaving all political power in the hands of the ruling nation. Um, just to say in our, you know, uh, uh, our set of conditions here, that would be the colonial occupation. As a, as a consequence, the idea of self-determination stood in the danger of being transformed from an instrument of combating annexations into an instrument for justifying them. Now we can say that this confusion has been cleared up. Leninism broadened the conception of self-determinism, interpreting it as the right of, of oppressed peoples of the dependent countries and colonies to complete secession, as the right of nations to independent existence as states, this precluded the possibility of justifying annexations by interpreting the right of self-determinism as the right to autonomy. Thus, the principle of self-determinism itself was transformed from an instrument for deceiving the masses, which it undoubtedly was in the hands of the social chauvinists during the imperialist war, into an instrument for exposing all imperialist aspirations and chauvinist machinations into the instrument for political education of the masses in the spirit of internationalism. Uh, and I just want to state that the imperialist war that he's referring to is World War I uh, in this time period. Yeah, that was from that was Stalin from the foundations of Leninism. 
So that call right there. Yeah. Um, so age when 65 talking, and 66. I mean, yeah, that, that page thing is depends on the book too. You know what I'm saying? Because well, some okay. books are, yeah. But that's my book. That's for my own my own things, my own project that I'm doing. I think you guys know what I'm doing. So yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think let's talk about this. So what do you guys have in mind when you read this? You know, how did this how does this, you know, uh fit into our narrative now, our situation? I, I think if you um specifically focus on the history of the, you know, the second international, um what you'll what you'll realize is um there was really a lack of revolutionary gains um coming from the second international of course just like any um you know left-leaning party there were some um you know minor gains minor gains in labor relations or, or what have you but there was no revolutionary gains that meaning no capture of state power no um real advancements <clears throat> um and i believe what part um due to their inability to fully take into account all conditions affecting um that they're you know all the material conditions you know dictating their reality you know the the, the material route reality around them their nation's, uh, you know, colonies, their nation's imperialist invent, uh, uh, ventures. Um, there was sort of a brushing over um, of them, and I believe, uh, believe Lenin will also discuss this uh, at some point. Um, if you check out this document, sp specifically in regards to Kotsky, um, but. Essentially, trying to address not only how that was incorrect in the process of Marxism, um, you know, uh, but also how that kneecapped their attempts at their own revolutions. Yep. Um, for me, uh, the only thing in this that I would challenge Stalin on is that. Um, I don't think the confusion, I mean, obviously, because we're doing this episode, the confusion, I would say, isn't entirely cleared up. Um, obviously, we have people interpreting this, and that's actually a point, like, I would make about uh, these readings, um, is that, you know, this is scientific socialism, and they're, they're putting forth uh, a number of um, political lines and theses that you know are supposed to be as as we've talked about on previous episodes like applied to the material you know concrete conditions of wherever you're applying it to um and like they don't even explicitly like as as uh, victor pointed out they don't even explicitly mention um you know the the settler colonies and the populations there um you know they they don't really ever they don't touch on that there's there's another quote we'll uh you know maybe go go over at some point um mm -hmm. quote 61 in here where they talk about uh populism essentially uh and um 
the populations within these, you know, quote unquote nations or lands uh, in the colonies. Um, and uh, that's that's something I, I could get into. Um, but, you know, I just uh, I feel like that'd be a tangent. Um, but yeah, this um, I think lays like and all these excerpts that Rick, you did such a good job of compiling here. Um, none of them do explicitly uh, do explicitly address the conditions here, or I'd say even in the settler colonies in general. Um, but uh, yeah, these are like, you know, this scientific socialism, this is laying down uh, in, in this, in this quote, in this excerpt here on the national question, um, you know, that it does provide the framework though, for us to deal with it, like to deal with the colonial question here, um, you know, even touches on the colonial question. Um, but yeah, as, as to, um, particularly addressing the settler colonies, uh, that's, that's where I think people get confused. Uh, I, I do like you're saying, Rick, there's some people who are, you know, you know, everyone, everyone who misinterprets this, you know, has a bias, but some people have, you know, um, you know, frankly, like, I guess, you know, you could just say racist, like, tendencies, and uh, chauvinist tendencies, you could say, um, and that, and that makes for a certain interpretation, like, I'm sure that many of those people have read this, and they just interpret it the way that, um, they like to that their biases uh their, their biases allow for but yeah that's all i'll say um because i'm sure we'll get into the other stuff having to do with populism um okay and everything Thank else. You. if you don't mind I'd, I'd like to bounce off that super quick go ahead um i do i do agree that obviously all things that are written are open to interpretation i feel like the way that we're interpreting it and that in my opinion, should be interpreted, requires the least um, playing fast and loose with the language, in my opinion. Certainly. I, I agree. Oh, I said it again? I, I didn't. My, my, my son was talking to me. Sorry. Um, I said, um, I think that the way that we are interpreting it, um, and in my opinion, the way that it should be interpreted, uh, plays fast and loose with the language the least in terms of other people's um you know opposing interpretations oh yeah yeah so i, I do want to say something quick you know on, on this quote first you see i i don't think that you know the national question really changed right here as he was you know stalin was saying i think that they were like coming to realization you know what i'm saying the second the second international uh, I mean, like when you read all these pieces, like both Stalin and Lenin were like just trashing the Second International. Like there was a lot of like liberalism with, within it, right? So, but Stalin starts to see the question about the colonies. Probably, of course, Lenin, you know, addressed this before. But like you know, like as I said before, like um, uh, does Lenin does address this and other. You know, he says there's there's dependent nations and he says there's colonies, right? And he says that there's a variable, a variety of dependent nations, right? And you have to like 
kind of stretch those words a little bit, just like Fanon said, you have to stretch uh, Marxism, right? You're kind of going to stretch that to, to kind of like to see how that fits within us, our situation here in the U.S. with Native people is that we are, the, you know, if people listen to the episodes about the Marshall Trilogy, right? They can see that we are within the U.S. you know law system. We are the domestic dependent nations, right? That's the legal term the U.S. government has put for us. So that's kind of we're like semi. We're, we are a colony here, but we are also like a. It's a bit it's a weird mix. We have a very very special situation, <clears throat> you know. And you know he goes to you know so Stalin talks about the the the. the uh, duality of the civilized and uncivilized but i think what he kind of gets into a lot of different things really quick in this quote and this is like a two paragraph quote right uh he talks about self-determination he talks about autonomy annexations right which we'll get into that later he talks about um uh social chauvinists right which is right now you can you can talk about that shit as the bad socks right so like this first quote from the foundations of Leninism, from Stalin, you know, um, that's a really good, I think it was, was a really good starting point. That's why I put it in kind of like in quote three. So if people open it up, they see quote three, they can read it for themselves, you know, but uh, to move forward, I want to read quote four. Um, it's a quote four. Um, yeah, so quote four that's is all, one. yeah, so quote four is, I quote, all these problems, oh wait, all, all these are problems, the solutions of which depend on the concrete historical conditions in which the nation, in, in which the given nation finds itself. More than that, conditions like everything else, and a decision or and a decision in which correct, which is correct in one particular time may prove to be entirely unsuitable at another. That's from Marxism and the National Question by Stalin, quote four. So he kind of show he you no know, so. You know, it's obviously I've, I've said this many times, right? That you know, uh, the Mao says the same thing too. Contradictions change here and there. You can't copy and paste. So whoever is saying like they want to have like a Soviet Union in the U.S., that's not how shit works, right? Or they want to copy like China. You know, that's not how shit works. I mean, they have a totally different culture. You know, if it's if it's them, you know. And I think we have to address the colonial question when it comes to, you know. Marxism is 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 a to me in my point of view is, is a math variable, and you have to insert indigenous perspectives, insert colonization, insert you know our cultures and all this stuff in order for for the right very you know the right scientific outcome to you know to um to to come out. It's just like a, you know like any any type of science. You put the bad data, you're gonna come out with the bad bad problems or bad bad uh you know bad outcomes, you can't just put like whatever data and, and you know, oh, that's it, you know, and expect it to be the right solution, right? So um, the next topic will be self on self-determination. So- Do you mind before we move on, if I bounce off of you again, right there? Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> as, you, as you're addressing, like <clears throat> every, every nation has its own set of material conditions. You cannot copy and paste the revolution. Um, another thing that you do by try, by attempting to copy and paste, um, is you halt any possible development, organic development of a new solution. So if they had copy and pasted the Soviet Union in Korea, the Juche idea would never have come about, never would have happened. 
it never would have taken off. Like you can't, you just, you simply cannot do that. Otherwise, you 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 halt the advancement of scientific socialism. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You have to like. Uh, I agree with you. So, in, in the next topic is on self determination. This the very first quote I think is is you know um, really important, and, it's, and I quote. Self-determination of nations means that the political separation means that means I'm sorry, let me start over. Self-determination of nations means the political separation of these nations from alien bodies, the formation of an independent national state. That's uh Lenin uh from the right of nations to self-determination, right? So right here, like alien bo bodies is obviously the U.S. government, right? Obviously, like settler nationalism, capitalism, like this is us, you know, we have to, you know, political separation means creation of our own state. He says, right, that formation of an independent national state. And if this doesn't, you know, tell people that decolonization and abolishing settler, settler uh, the government, and, and capitalism, I don't know. I don't know. Like, how do you read this and not, you know? Uh, so, so right here, go, wait, wait, wait. Let me do this. Quote eight. Yeah. Political self-determination can be nothing else than the right to secede and to form an independent national state. There again, right? So, like, it, it's, you know, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, just to be, um, you know, to kind of get at the heart of why uh we're we're doing this um i'll play devil's advocate uh and you know with both of those uh excerpts you just gave us you know what the, what are the arguments that we hear like very often it's you know it's a matter of like which nation they choose you know to to a trip to to apply this to they'll you know that what? Why do we have the you know quote unquote, these quote unquote communists with American flags in their bios, or even like you know people who don't go that far, but still you know have these ideations of maintaining some sort of like colonial relationship on this continent, um, but under you know communist some sort of pan pan cultural communist characteristic to it. Um, that they would say, like that, you know, that the, the devil's advocate, that the, these um, our detractors, right, would say that uh, those apply to the United States. It's like, oh well, the United States broke away from Great Britain, and you know, that's that's how I imagine, like that they the the bad interpretation would be, you know, um, mm -hmm. and I guess like that's where it kind of comes down to with these. Uh, you know, with our interpretations, like sometimes it's it, it just seems like you can't. Uh, and this is a lot of what Fanon writes about, and that colonial society can't be reconciled. Um, and as you were saying, like if if Lenin and Stalin had, you know, been more explicit and got more into the particularities, as Mao um, talks about with the the general and the particularities, this is all what I would consider the general, what we're talking about, all of these excerpts, and then what we're talking about with applying it to our own historical material conditions, that would be the particularities. So like the, yeah, the, this, if Stalin and Lenin had 
maybe even gotten more into the particularities if they had understood the settler colonies more, which, you know, you could say, like, probably would be difficult to do for them at that point, because they didn't have a lot of the, you know, literature that we have, the anti-colonial theory, um, and just an understanding of the settler colonies and their history. Uh, you know, I, I, that's why we need Fanon, and that's why we need Walter Rodney, uh, and and we need these interpretations because it does sort of leave it a, like you can see where the devil's advocate can come in if if you get my meaning. Yeah, I want to read quote twelve, and it says, "In any case, uh, the wage worker will be exploited, and in order to be able to fight successfully." against exploitation, the proletariat must be free of nationalism, must be absolutely neutral, so to speak, in, in struggle for supremacy that is going on among the bourgeoisie of various nations. If the proletariat of any one nation gives the slightest support to the privileges of its own national bourgeoisie, this will inevitably rouse distrust among the proletariat of another nation. It will weaken international class, solidarity workers, and divide them to the delight of the bourgeoisie and repudiation of the right of self-determination or secession. In inevitably means in practice supporting privileges of the dominant nation. This is obviously this talks about you know the, the proletariat supporting other bourgeoisies or their own. My bad. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a little brain dead. But you, you can't support. It's kind of it's talking about like you know supporting the. He he talks about like this um, is a revolutionary defeatism. Yeah. So like you can't you can't support national struggles, but be careful about with not supporting other people's bourgeoisie. But I think it kind of you can kind of stretch a little bit because he talks about too. I think you said another quote before we start recording about uh, not supporting. Um, which one was it, you, Victor, about the the, the bourgeoisie? Um, the question about the bourgeoisie nationalism, right? Yeah, I believe that you're talking about quote 26, I believe. Is that in the but, um, section? No. I mean, I, 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 I understand know. what you're getting at here. You, like, <clears throat> I mean, the way it's written, this stuff's pretty, it's actually, it, to me, it feels pretty clear. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, I agree with, with, you know, with Derek that um, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily address the particularities, but some of this stuff is written so easy to understand that I don't think it needs to. Like when you're talking about liberating yourself from alien bodies, okay, what, what is an alien body? Um, you don't even have to think about this in sci-fi terms as in, you know, an external creature laying an egg inside of you, but that's essentially what happened, right? The alien body is not just the domination by force of a foreign power, but also the laying of the groundwork of a of a, a essentially a symbiotic or parasitic relationship to the indigenous population of any land mass. You know this this happens throughout history, um, before even capitalism fully develops. So. <clears throat> If to say that 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 you know the 574 plus nations in the North American continent don't have a right to liberate themselves 
from the 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 foreign implanted body that is the U.S. government um, is blatantly anti-communist. Unless you think Leninism isn't communism, which is a whole. If you're an Orthodox Marxist, then you can, I guess, make a make a wave at rejecting this shit. But you can if you're a Leninist. You can't if you believe if you are a Marxist-Leninist or anything in that family, a Maoist. If you're a you know, believe in Juche, any of those ideas. Yeah, I, I agree. If if I could uh, expound on that a little, I think that this comes down to, and this is something, uh, I'll just give a shout out real quick to um, a professor who I've just recently acquainted with myself with, with the, uh, with me learning, I've been learning a lot more about the EFF in South Africa. Um, and just to just to give a quick shout out to those who are interested in, I think it, it he tackles just about everything we're going to talk about here, and he does in depth with like a lot of uh, theoretical references. Um, yeah, Dr. Luazi uh, Lushuba in um, out of South Africa is with the EFF, the Economic Freedom Fighters. There, he. He talks about the psychological and cultural aspects of this, which is, of course, in a lot of Fanon's writing, um, because it, it comes down to sensibilities, right? For for us, it's very obvious as as those of us who come from colonized peoples who are who are colonized peoples, um, it, it's very obvious to us, right? Because we have certain sensibilities and cultural. Uh, you know, a certain cultural background. As Fanon gets into in uh, Wretched of the Earth, the Europeans have their own sensibilities, and, and those sensibilities make make for a certain interpretation of 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 anything. You know, it's it's a world outlook. It's a cu- cultural social phenomenon. Uh, so, yeah, just just to just to really quick quickly touch on why the interpretations are different is is what I think uh, doc, Dr. Luazi uh, Lashuba uh, gets into. Um, he has a lot of great lectures on YouTube. He has a book that I haven't read yet. Um, that I've just uh, been um, familiarizing myself with his lectures recently, but he, uh, he touches a lot on this. Um, sorry not to go on a huge tangent, but um, I think he really gets at the heart of of why these interpretations are the way they are, and uh, we, we're not on the uh, we're not on imperialism yet, right? Um, no. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll get more into that on imperialism. So I'm going to read two quotes before we move to the next topic. Quote 19: The right of self-determination means that, that that a nation may arrange its life in the way it wishes. It has the right to arrange its life on the basis of autonomy. It has the right to enter into federal relations with other nations. It has the right to complete secession. Nations are sovereign, and all nations have equal rights. Stalin, Marxism, and the national question. Quote 20, right to self-determination is an essential element to the solution of the national question. Stalin, Marxism, Marxism and the national question. Um, so we're going to go, the next topic is smashing the bourgeois states and the creation of a new state, quote-unquote new states. Before you do that, do you want to take a minute to address how difficult it is for indigenous nations in the United States 
to settle trade deals with foreign countries or um, establish any sort of diplomacy with foreign countries. I mean, yeah, I mean, if people hear people hear the the Marshall trilogy episodes, they will see that the, the U.S. obviously when they came here and when it comes to um, Johnson, Johnson versus McIntosh court case, that they the, the discovery doctrine was was solidified in that court case, right? And then so like the colonizing European colonizer that claims the land has a sole right to land rights. Nobody else does, right? I mean, they fight each other, you know, like this, or they trade with each other or sell each other land. But once they acquire the land, they have that exclusive right to one, <laughs> the, the, the title to the land, and two, you know, and also going to the other cases in the Marshall Trilogy, like we can trade, but it's very limited. It's, it's, it's like, but we can't go into treaty with other nations. We can only be in treaty with the U.S. But they stopped treaty making like in the in, in the 1800s, right? And I, I have a, that's a whole different tangent, right? But I think, um, I mean, it's like I said, it's very it's very limited. You can't you can't only do so much. And I think. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, the right to self-determination. I mean, like within the U.S. colonial project, we have to understand that uh, self-determination for us, our, our sovereignty is very limited, right? We have, we do have sovereignty. We have stronger sovereignties than other places for indigenous peoples, right? And but it's still very limited. And how do we make this? And to me, decolonization means our sovereignty has within our own continent doesn't have limitations from a settler state, right? We should be able to, you know, go into, into treaties or go into economic deals with other countries. We should, you know, all these things that our sovereign nation should be able to do, blah, 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 right? And I think- And that's what I that's what I was thought was important for you to bring up is because that, that right there firmly establishes the United States as a colonial power. Yeah, exactly. So that the whole thing about alien bodies, like, like I said, like that that shit is the seller state in my point of view, right? And some people will be like, oh no, it's capitalism. Capitalism is also an alien body, right? <laughs> but like the seller Correct. state is is a fucking alien body, right? And, capitalism uh, has a European characteristic to it, right? Yeah. So yeah, but let's go on yet yeah, into number three uh, on smashing the bourgeois states and then new states. Um, so, you know, in all these readings, there's never been one thing when Lenin or Marx said, all you have to do is reform the capitalist state and it's fine. No, they're talking about smashing the capitalist state and creating a whole new Marxist state, you know, the, the, the dictatorship of the proletariat, you know, and, and you know, and making sure that, you know, the bourgeois can't come back. And Lenin talks a lot about like how if you let you know the bourgeois um like sneak in they're gonna fuck shit they're gonna fuck some shit up you know but um right here it says you know quote 21 mark stated that the breaking up in quotes of the state machinery is demanded by the interests of both the workers and the peasants that it unites them that it places before them the common task of removing the parasite in quotations and replacing it with by something new Right. 
And let's see, this another, um, that was from Stadium Revolution by Lenin, right? And I think uh, I think that that Marx quote doesn't fall into the next. It's, oh no, it's right here. So um, yeah, so in fighting for the right of nations to self-determination, the aim of social democracy is to put an end to the policy of national oppression, to render it impossible, and thereby to remove the grounds of strife between nations, that to take the edge off that strife and reduce it to a minimum. This is what essentially distinguishes the policy of class conscious proletariat from the po policy of the bourgeois bourgeoisie, which attempts to aggravate and fan the national struggle and to, and to prolong and sharpen the national movement. And that is why the class conscious proletariat cannot rally under, under the national flag of the bourgeoisie, the Stalin, Marxism, and in the national question. Um, and number 26, quote number 26, is whether the proletariat rallies to the banner of the bourgeoisie nationalism depends on the degree of the, the development of class antagonism, on the class consciousness and the degree of organization of the proletariat. The class, class, the class conscious proletariat has its own tried banner. There's no need to rally to the banner of the bourgeoisie. As far as the peasants are concerned, their participation in the national movement depends primarily on the national character of the repressions. If the repressions affect the land, and as it was as was the case in Ireland, then the mass of the peasants immediately rally towards the banner of, na of the national movement. So if you kind of like, let's compare this to like us now. He's talking about, there's a lot of talk about the Irish within, you know, Lenin and Stalin, right? And, you know, because, you know, within British colonization of, of Ireland. Um, so, you know, if you compare it to now, the U.S. government, the U.S. flag is national. Not, it's not, not national, my bad. It's the bourgeois, bourgeoisie nationalism, right? And creating a decolonial state. That would be a new, brand new system, brand new, you know, I could say nationalism, right? Brand new uh, concept that we could rally behind. It, this is not just for native people, this would be also with, you know, a, a, a sovereign black state, you know, and also with, I guess, settlers that wanna stay here, right? They can rally behind that. I mean, like we had a quote earlier that says that we should be free of nationalism. So if communists are really, communists in the US were really serious about, you know, being communist as fuck, they should like <laughs> not, Want be wanting to save the fucking flag of the United States. So this whole thing about pad socks and being like this fucking patriotic American, socialist American, it's fucking stupid as fuck because they're not reading this. You know, they're not reading this stuff, obviously. And they're obviously creating an aesthetic that's just stupid as fuck, you know, as later on we can talk about social chauvinism. But I think, you know, the, the, the bourgeois flag and bourgeois nationalism is is the American national. I talk about this all the time with settler nationalism, you know, so how can you we move forward, you know, and, you know, the, the national character of repression, if the repression affects the land, it's affecting the fucking land here, right? And it's affecting the, 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 the 574, 600, 630 in Canada, and the 68 in Mexico, right? So decolonization, and we can talk about this within centralism, right? Later on, we can talk about centralism, how 
decolonization fits into centralism too. So I don't know if you guys have words or thoughts. Yeah, I do. If, if you don't mind me going first. <clears throat> Go ahead. Okay, so, Please do. Um, the primary thing is that uh, these individuals don't just want to save the aesthetic appearance of the United States, although I think that might be the emotional driver. Um, there, A lot of these people were brought to the idea of Marxism because of the settler state failing them. Um, if, if it hadn't been, they would probably not be Marxist at all. If these people had found success in business, these people had found that their nation wasn't abandoning their concerns, um, I would... I it would be in nearly impossible for me to assume in good faith that these people would still be communists. And I think that is the primary reason. That's that's the driver. And the aesthetic nature um, and their emotional attachment to it is what um, drives them to have this idea that they can rehabilitate a settler colonial state like the United States or Australia, or Israel, or Canada, or Mexico, or, you know, there's many others. Derek, do you have anything to say before I read more quotes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just on the, uh, on Ireland, um, I'm sure some, some of the listeners know, Ireland almost had a communist revolution the year before, um, the Bolsheviks in 1917. It was 1916, um, the year of the uh, Easter Rising, uh, led by James Connolly, a famous, uh, some many may know uh, James Con Connolly. And uh, uh, Lenin actually learned English from an Irishman. So uh, he actually spoke English with an Irish accent. So I think that's where a lot of the, um, his, I think he had a very uh, close understanding of Ireland. Uh, um, but I think that this is a this quote right here that twenty six um, that is like I that this is a very direct one I think that like it just gives such a direct uh, um, example uh, Ireland being a settler colony uh, which it was and is still uh, the upper six are still occupied by the crown. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, that is really like, that is like, th there has to be some cognitive dissonance involved there in order to misinterpret that quote, uh, right there. That's all I'll say. I mean, I, I can see how they would attempt to obfuscate the similarities between Ireland and the United States due to the fact that Ireland has not been completely and utterly occupied by Britain. But honestly, if Britain could have, they would have. It would be an identical situation. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I have to edit this document right now. I'm editing as we're talking because I, I noticed I didn't number one. So I this one, this quote 23.5. <laughs> Okay, so let me read 22. 22 is, and I quote, there is no trace of utopianism in Marx in the sense of inventing or imagining a new state. No, he studies as a process of natural history, the birth of a new society from the old, from, 
the forms of transition from the latter to the former. He takes the actual experience of the mass proletarian movement and tries to draw practical lessons from it. The next one, quote 23. Here's, wait, mm, wait, let me see, no. Okay, 23.5, I, I have to you know, uh, edit out. But Marx did not undertax, I oh, wait, let me start over. Quote, but Marx did not undertake the task of discovering the political forms of this future stage. He eliminated himself to an, an exact observation of French history, its analysis, and the conclusions to which the year 1851 has led, viz. that matters were moving towards destruction of the bourgeois machinery of states. Um, <clears throat> so it shows you right here that, you know, when people say that oh, decolonization is utopianism, or, you know, like, oh, that's just fucking like impossible revolution. Somebody, we, we both, all three of us saw that, that one post, then, you know, like some, that person, the native person saying that it's an impossible revolution. We all get to make up our own impossible revolutions, you know? But, you know, that person was a fucking chauvinist, right? But it shows you that Marx, you know, he, he these people, Lenin, you know, um, Stalin, didn't, they weren't trying to tell people what to do. They were telling people that you should do this, you know, imagine a new state for yourself, for your own territory, right? So when we talk about decolonization, and we're talking about a new type of society, a new type of government, it's not unrealistic. These people, these quotes back that up. You know what I'm saying? It, this, this, it backs it up. How can you say you're, you're not for a new type of state Right, but instead you're, you're you're talking about just turning the, the U.S. government into communist. That's not fucking a new state. That's the same shit, right? And that you know, I think people they they read these things, especially the sellers, and they they don't know how to use fucking imagination, right? They don't know imagination, so they just like, oh, we're gonna turn this government into, into communist, and that's not how shit's gonna work, right? Um, but in quote twenty three point five, it talks about how Marx. Like was, you know, he studied French history and he, you know, it, it led him to make observations about the French. But, you know, like, like I said, like uh, they don't talk about the Native American contradiction because, of course, we have to talk about, too, that when they were alive, especially, especially when Marx was alive, it was during the Restoration era and it could have been during the, the um, Alamein era. Right of in federal Indian policy. So what what I imagine if he would have been alive or he would have you know see a crystal ball with the future and saw the era of self determination from 1960s to now, I mean like he his brain would probably blow up, right? And he would have all these writings and shit like that, you know. But I I think um, we have to understand that uh, like we it's up to us. The point I'm making is up to us. To, to imagine new systems, to to look at the, the contradictions and uh, of the of, of today, and to you know create solutions for ourselves, you know. I just want to double down on what you said that that the way that that's written tells us that we, that we essentially have to design the new state, the new revolutionary state apparatus, right? That's pretty simple thing. To, to, to understand the way that it's written. But as you stated, you can't just paint the United States red. You can't just copy and paste the Soviet Union. They have to be unique. They have to be imagined unique from the conditions 
that the oppressed people are uh, experiencing. And when you attempt to copy and paste the Soviet Union, or China, or whatever, even countries that I have m much more of a uh, an interest and relationship to, like DPRK or Vietnam or you know um, Burkina Faso or Cuba, you, you can't just copy and paste those. There, they were under. I mean, the, the, those nations are thousands and thousands and miles apart. They have completely different access to resources, completely different cultures, completely different uh, relationships to um, different colonial powers, completely different relationships to their own unique history. You <laughs> to deny that and to to attempt to paint over the United States and just you know reform it, paint it red. Or copy and paste something else. It's it's an affront to 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 Marxism. It's an affront to scientific socialism. I agree, and I I just saw that I had to uh, number another quote that I didn't number. So thirty five point five. I have to renumber that one. Um, does anybody have any any? Um, I'll, uh, I'll, any recommend any recommendations for? Sorry. For the chauvinist Eric's section, is twenty eight through to forty two. Because he talks about he talks you know Lenin talks about chauvinism a lot, right? And uh, these are people that like defend their own national bourgeoisie, which you know Pat Sox are defending national bourgeoisie when it comes to you know the nationalism and you know quote unquote like, industrial capitalist as our wonderful friend Caleb Maupin likes to say all the time, that's definitely not a Nazi talking point. Yeah. Or Haas when he says, unleash the forces of production. That's definitely not a Nazi talking point. Mm. Yeah. So I, I'm going to read quote 30. The socialists cannot reach their great aim without fighting against every form of national oppression. They, they, they must therefore unequivocally demand that the social democrats of the oppressing countries, of the so-called great nations in particular, should recognize and defend the rights the right of the oppressed nations to self-determination in the political sense of the world, word, i.e., the right to political separation. A socialist of a great nation or a nation oppressing colonies who does not defend this right is a chauvinist. I think I posted this. End quote. This is Lenin, and this is from Self-Determination of Nations. Um, let me see. Yeah, but it shows you right there. But, you know, if you take this quote, quote number 30, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it says that you have to, you know, you have to um, support the right of oppressed nations to self-determination. So, you know, when Native people are saying, we need to decolonize, we need liberation, we need to abolish the U.S. seller states, but then if you're, if, you know, people like, you know, like fucking Hinkle or Haas or fucking Maupin, you know, says, no, we just have to like be a patriotic Americans, turn American communists, they're chauvinists. 100%. And he says the so-called great nations in particular, if you read Lenin, he calls the U.S., one, one of the U.S. is the great nations, the great Britain, France, Germany, Japan, 
right? These are like the great nations that are taking colonies, right? So like, I don't know what else to say. I mean, there's a ton of quotes. So it's from quote 28 to quote 42 is about chauvinism in general, right? If you don't mind, I'd like to I'd like to touch back on on 26 for a second. One of the things that's said in that quote is um, talks about the class consciousness of the proletariat of that nation and how that's relevant to what type of banner that they're uh, rallying behind. Correct? Yes. So in order for a revolution to take place, the the working class, the colonized masses, the oppressed nations all have to be uh, class conscious. These people that want you to uh, back up U.S. nationalism and by extension, whether they claim to be anti-imperialist or not, U.S. imperialism, <clears throat> they, what, they, what they fail to realize is that the people that they're attempting to organize and the manner in which they're appealing to those people reinforces their lack of class consciousness. And those people tend to be, the people that respond to that, tend to be the least class conscious. That's why they uh, have positions like people in, re like restaurant workers or uh, baristas aren't working class. When these things are very clearly defined by Marx, and in fact, not in the course of baristas, because I'm not really sure if they existed back then, but in terms of uh, restaurant laborers, um, these things were addressed by him. So I think I, I, that plays into what you just said and, and what you were saying sort of reminded me, uh, uh, you know, to go back to that quote and sort of, uh, you know, touch on that. I think class consciousness and how much they are and what's the degree of it. And, you know, they, both Lenin and Stalin talks about like education. I mean, this is about anything, even the the, the work I'm reading about Kim Il-sung, right? He talks about education, right? Everybody talks about education, education, educating the masses, right? So when we have a situation here in the States where the education system sucks, right? And and they specifically don't talk about like native issues or native sovereignty. A lot of a lot of regular people, regular native and non-native, especially non-natives, they don't they don't even know that there's a whole legal system for native sovereignty, right? Like they don't know. They don't know this shit. They used to know that the basic shit like fucking, you know, like Mayflower and fucking Squanto, Pocahontas, and putting a fish in the dirt, fish head in the dirt, whatever that was taught when I was a kid from kindergarten was weird shit right and you know like uh, the first thanksgiving and then the trail of tears but they don't really go much into after that right so like you know so of course people of course people that are, Wait, are, if, you, if you go off of your u.s public education system you would think that the u.s government only killed around four thousand indigenous people because that's what that. they teach that's what they teach. And in terms of what the U.S. admits to, there's the Trail of Tears, and there's 25,000 that they admit to on the Pacific Northwest. That's it. That's the only parts of the U.S. genocide that they even recognize. Even though there are several historical events that are historically recognized as gen genocide, such as the Sullivan-Clinton campaign, 
and others, including, you know, the battles that the Lakota fought. So, and I'm, I'm assuming the battles that the Comanche fought as well. So the public education system in the U.S. is garbage. It's not indoctrination. Uh, Exactly. It's not education. It's indoctrination. And and it's like, it's literally, it's made in Texas, like the most fascist, you know, it's like, it's it's hard to get more fascist than Texas. And uh, that's where the books for kids are made for for a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, um, yeah. No child left behind. Yeah, I'm going to read some one other quote. Let me see where it sits. Um, so, hmm. there's going to be a lot of like weird, um, empty noise. People are listening to like, what the fuck's going on there? Um, so I'm going to read this one. Quote 34, Engels, and I quote, Engels by no means support supposes that economics, in quotes, will itself and indirectly remove all difficulties. An economic revolution will be a stimulus to all peoples to tend towards socialism, but at the same time, revolutions against the socialist state and wars are possible. Politics will inevitably adapt itself to economies, but not immediately and and smoothly. Not simply, not directly. Engels mentions as certain, in quotes, only one absolutely internationalist principle, which which he applies to all other nations, i.e. not to colonial nations only, namely, to force blessings upon them would mean undermining the victory of the proletariat. Let me spell this. Um, the proletariat would not become wholly and immune from errors and weaknesses merely by virtue of the fact, let me spell that too, of the fact that is carried out, that it has carried out a social revolution. But, in, but possible errors, selfish intent, attempts to ride on the back of others, will inevitably cause it to appreciate this truth. Lenin, the discussion on self-determination summed up, end quote. So this shows you right here that Lenin is saying, that, that Engels was saying that uh, economics, that, that class reductionist points of view, it doesn't work, right? There's other traits within and there's going to be a quote later on that we talk about colonization, right? Where Lenin says that that colonization existed before capitalism. I, I showed you that uh, there earlier today, right? And you know, and he says that in this quote that you know that wars against socialist states are possible, right? And the proletariat would not become wholly immune from errors and weaknesses merely by virtue of the fact that it has carried out a social revolution. About possible errors and selfish intents, you know, they're possible. This shows you that people, like again, like these Pat Sox, these cellular nationalists, these MAGA communists, you know, that they they have a really class reductionist views. They're really, you know, they, they think of things of economics, and let me call them, I think something like economics, economics, economic. I forgot what he called them, but there's like two, two or three pieces where he calls them. Uh, a surname, I think it's like economics, but uh, they, but people, he, he pretty much, instead of saying class reductionist, he, he has that 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 that, that, name, that one word for them, right? So um, it shows you 
that even back then they're saying don't be a class reductionist but people for some reason especially in this fucking country are class reductionists right so yeah do you have words on that either of you um i think i there was something that i did think about adding here um, <clears throat> let me scroll up a little bit oh i can't do it there's one quote that, that what, talks what, about go ahead what what uh what quote were you reading from i'm trying to find it uh i was reading 34 34 Okay, can you put it on the screen for me or? Yeah, it's right here. Okay. Quote 35 is, let them howl. The bourgeoisie yeah. will praise them for it. Lenin, state of revolution, which I think that's like exactly like Haas, uh, uh, Hinkle, you know, mopping. Like, and this is, it's kind of like, let what? them talk, you know, like they're just, just you know, doing the bourgeoisie. Not only that, even, even, the, even the second section of that one. The boys will praise them for it. Think about who they're associated with, right? Um, they associate with um, Max Blumenthal, who is tied to the Clintons. They associate with Tulsi Gabbard, who's tied to uh, you know a cult that has child sex abuse ac accusations. You know she herself is an imperialist. People paint her as an anti-imperialist. Um, they're high on some of the wildest psychedelics, in my she's opinion. She's a Modi supporter. Yeah, she supports Modi. Um, she was obviously a participant in several imperialist ventures for the United States. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, like these people already do get praise from uh, bourgeois or affluent members of society um, or connected to the bourgeois members of society. Um, I don't know if Hax Blumenthal will come after me for saying that, but he probably won't even ever hear this, so I don't have anything to worry about. But um, one of the things that I wanted to address in uh, quote, I believe it was, you said it was 34. Yeah. Um, right. Where they, they, they sort of allude to in, in this, um, the, the mistake mistake of not taking all contradictions into account uh and i've said it before and i will say it again is that if you want to take if you want to take you know uh, indigenous people which are already uh socialist oriented in terms of their culture and make them anti-communist really quick what you're going to do is you're going to try and rehabil rehabilitate the colonial state and then you're going to you're going to have a counter-revolutionary force of indigenous people that capitalists all over the world will be throwing money at, and you will lose. You will lose, and we will win anyways. And then not only are we going to win, you're going to have zero part, and you might even be dead. So think. So consider that. Think about that. What what direction do you want to go? Do you want to do indigenous self determination and socialist oriented programming, or do you want 50, 100 more years of, of an absolute fucking mess because that's what that's that's the game that you're playing. I agree. There's there's a quote right here, and it kind of goes with, with some people that we you know talk this past talk online. It's quote 36. And I quote, nothing is so ridiculous and harmful as pretending we are old hands in quotes 
who have long ago experienced all the decisive episodes of the struggle, what is to be done by Lenin, end quote, right? So like, these are people online, I, think we, we, I don't wanna name names, right? That, that wants to be czar after the revolution, like this medical czar, I think we all know who the fuck that is here with them ourselves, right? That pretend that they, they are like old school, like they've known Marxism for so long, they're experts of Marxism, right? When they themselves are, are newbies, they're baby Marxists. Same thing with that, that rapper, right? That uh, became what was radicalized during Bernie's campaign in 2016, but now he's as some fucking Marxist expert. And same thing with Haas. I'll say Haas name publicly, right? But Haas, you know, like these motherfuckers are just learning about like Marxism. one or two years ago, Haas wasn't even a Marxist. Yeah. He was just so, a social Democrat and hanging they, around the debate crowd. Yeah. And they act like old hands, right? And they give really bad advice. And Lenin talks about this, this spontaneous people, the spontaneous you know, movements where they're not, they're not prepared to do work. They still have stuff to learn. They still have to learn about organizing, you know, and, and to learn lessons. They're, so they're like a spontaneous thing, you know, they're spontaneous. And I, I really do feel like it, it's disingenuous for them to like come in, act like experts, and then give really bad advice, you know, on, 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 and especially on the vice of, the, of being anti-decolonization. These people like are just, like I said, they're baby, baby theorists, right? And they are not, they're giving really bad advice. And that's all, quote 36. We, all, we also have this quote. Well, uh, can, can, if you don't mind if I interrupt you real quick. Okay. One, one of the other things that a lot of people don't consider is that um, whether these people are, uh, you know, federal agents, you know, the CIA or the FBI or whatever, or not, um, that they're being employed in that way. And sort of the whole uh, cult surrounding, you know, uh, debate, internet debate people um, sort of serves this uh, sort of attempt to distract people from meaningful events, events that actually need analyzed, that need addressed um, with sort of manufactured drama content. Um, and they, Haas is definitely part of that community, whether or not he's a, a fed or just a useful idiot that's being used in that manner. Um, and there's a lot of other people that are uh, involved in that, uh, you know, that are also famous. The majority of them tend to pretend to be anarchists, but there are some that uh, are, are MLs. And really all they do is farm drama content. And that's really how Haas got started. And wildly the person that you're mentioning that thinks that they're going to be the um you know the quote-unquote health czar of the of the revolutionary united states um sort of falls in love with haas's supposed advanced marxist leninism at the time where haas is really only farming drama content um which sort of uh points to the simplistic nature of his ability to think and analyze, um, in my opinion. So essentially I'm saying that he's very dumb. Yeah. So yeah, let me read, let me read, um, well, I think I, hopefully I didn't lose it. Um, where is it? So quote 38, and I quote, a vanguard which fierce consciousness will upstrip spontaneous spontaneity will fear to put forward a bold plan 
that will compel universal recognition, even among those who think differently from us. Are they not are they not confusing the word vanguard with the word rearguard? Right? So this is to me, this is kind of like the pass off shit, like right here. Like they they fear, like they talk, always talk about like the wokeness, oh wokeness this and wokeness that. And they're actually like adhering to like the conservative, they're 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 saying that they're they're um adhering to workers, but what they're really doing is adhering to one bigots, anti-trans, anti-homophobic stuff, right? They're 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 adhering to like uh like just racist shit like anti-black liberation anti-decolonization native decolonization you know like so you know and they because they i, I think they, there's even a second second fold to that right uh, you, you look yeah. at that word right that you're talking about you're talking about the word consciousness right yeah what does the actual african-american vernacular english term woke mean right it's much older than they think you know they're claiming it's two years old or it's a it's much older than that. I probably, I, Derek, you might, you might have the specifics, but I think that word goes back to the sixties or seventies, but what oh, it that's means. A, that's an old, to, that's an old Ebonics slang term. Exactly. Yeah. It, it just means like, you know, it means well educated. Be aware. <laughs> be aware of your surroundings, know your surroundings, be conscious. Right. And that's the thing that they're railing against. And it's obviously right there in that quote that those people are wrong to do that. Yeah, Derek, you were saying? Oh no, just uh, just um, confirming that. Yeah, that is an old slang term. That's an old, old Ebonics term. That yeah, it's a uh, yeah. That's who who could say how old that is? Uh, I don't know. Maybe a uh, maybe a sociologist might know that, but or some just an old head. But yeah, it's old, old as dirt. Not Victor, really. Do you, but... do you have a document up? Do you want to read quote thirty nine? Victor. Yeah, I can do do you want Derek to do it or you want me to do it? You do it. You do it. Okay. All right. <clears throat> oh, don't start howling about my uncomradely methods of controversy. I have not the least intention of casting aspirations upon the purity of your intentions. As I have already said, one may be a demagogue out of sheer political ignorance, but I have shown you that you have descended into demagoguery and i shall never tire of repeating that demagogues are the worst enemies the working class they are ignorant no they are the yeah they are the worst enemies of the working yeah class the worst because... enemies of the working class because they arouse bad instincts in the crowd sorry i lost my place for a second uh, because the ignorant worker is unable to recognize his enemies and men who represent themselves and sometimes sincerely represent themselves to be his friends. They are the worst enemies of the working class because it, in this period of doubt and hesitation, when our moment is only just beginning to take shape, nothing is easier to employ than demagogic methods to sidetrack the crowd which can realize its mistake only by bitter experience. Lenin, what is to be done? But this right here is a perfect, I think, Patsock quote, right? Because obviously this, you know, Lenin has, has experience with, 
obviously, you know, with people back in the day supporting bourgeois nationalism, right? But I think what's good about these quotes is to, so we can learn from them and, you know, to kind of adapt them into our situation right now. But what do you guys think about this quote? Because before I ask, before I answer, it says there, there's two types, the demagogue out of sheer political ignorance and the ones that have purposely gone into demagoguery, right? So, yeah. Anybody? Well, I think the interesting thing about a lot of these patriotic socialists is that even if they aren't, weren't always of this position, um, they tend to rally around demagogic figures right now. Again, we were just talking about them rallying around Tulsi Gabbard. They rallied around Donald Trump. Um, I mean, these people are objectively anti-communist, for one, and two, objectively demagogic figures. Um, and, and it doesn't just happen in patriotic socialism. Uh, there, you know, there's a contingent within uh, CPUSA that's very pro-Biden, um, which is sort of <laughs> opposing within the bourgeois political structure, but not really opposing, um, you know, capitalism. So, um, yeah, it's an it's it's that's an interesting. That's an excellent quote. Excellent quote. Yeah, so quote 41 is, um, the, and I quote, the victory of the revolutionary proletariat is impossible unless this evil is combated. Unless the opportunist social, social trader leaders are exposed, discredited, and expelled. Lenin, left-wing left -wing communism, end quote. So it shows you that you have to, I think this is what, what we've been doing for the last two years, all three of us, and same thing with bands, the same thing with all these other people that are online that are exposing these bad sock rhetorics, right? We have to expose them. We have to expose them for who they are, right? They're opportunists, they're social chauvinists, they're traitors, you know? Anybody have thoughts about the social chauvinists before we move on to annexations? Just, just to bolster that point, uh, I think we are in that period uh, where the movement, you know, as Lenin said, there um, is just taking shape. Is just uh, is just beginning. Um, this is the time when those like those people thrive, as he said. Um, mm -hmm. When they, this er, era of confusion, because you know who, even among our you know our comrades who you know we are doing our best to educate, um, the, there's a lot of like incorrect lines uh, and. This this is like yeah this is the time where people are going to get fooled by that stuff so yeah I think that's why we're also we all intuitively know that that stuff needs to be fought um, if we can you know if I could send a tweet in a few seconds just to like you know just uh, make fun of us you know mm. it's, it's doing my little part you know it's uh, doing our part <laughs> yeah. Any other words, uh, Victor, before we move forward? No, no, I think I'm good. I think I'm good to move ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just to say uh, that if Lenin were alive today, he would be on Twitter, like, quote, <laughs> tweeting uh, everyone, you know, <laughs> he would be an incessant <laughs> Twitter, he, Twitter he troll. Would have, he would have to be subscribed to Twitter Blue because he needs that 4,000 character polemic mode enabled. Oh, 100%. Oh, that 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 character limit is not enough for him. Yeah. 
I think, um, okay, for annexation. So we, I, I put this section on this document on an annexation because, and then there's two sections, there's annexation and then there's um, uh, autonomy, right? Because a lot of, a lot of uh, settler nationalists or, you know, settler nationalist Marxists, whatever they want to, I don't think they're Marxist. Uh, they talk about like, um, oh, the tribes can go be autonomous, you know? So, and I think that's pretty shitty and we can talk about autonomy later, but the, the annexation part is what the U.S. has done to us. It's taken us and we become to, you know, quote unquote, domestic dependent nations, according to uh, Worcester versus Georgia, right? And I think, um, but we have to talk about like, what did Lenin feel about annexation? So I think I'm gonna read, um, okay, here, number 45. <clears throat> And I quote, the specific question of annexations has become particularly urgent one owing to, I know that's a misspell, owing to the war. But what is annexation? Clearly to protest against annexation implies either the recognition of, I misspelled that, of the right to self-determination of nation or the protest is based on a specific phrase which defends the status quo and opposes all violence, including revolutionary violence. Such phrase, is radically wrong and incapable with Marxism. And the other one is, where is it? Um, if a socialist party declares itself to be opposed to the force, that's number 47. If a socialist party declares itself to be opposed to the forcible retention of an oppressed nation within the boundaries of an annexation state, the party thereby undertakes to abandon forcible retention when it comes to power. Um, so, so 47, so 47 right here is really big for me, right? So if a socialist party declared to be opposed to forcible retention of an oppressed nation within the boundary of, of their own thing, the party, the party thereby undertakes to abandon forcible retention when it comes to power. So let's imagine, when if we have a communist revolution in this country and you know and it's obviously you know it's settlers outnumber us we can talk about population later just one section about population right but if, if they outnumber us and they take and they grab power you know and they say no you can go be autonomous we don't want to make a decolonial state no 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 if they don't step down from 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 power then they're not really yes a socialist they're not really pro-communist they don't really understand you know theory in general Right, so I I think that's I don't know what you know what you was thinking about that. So in number forty eight, if we do not want to betray socialism, we must support every rebellion against our main enemy, the bourgeoisie of the big big states. Provided it has not rebellion, provided it is not the rebellion of the reactionary class. By refusing to support rebellions of annexed territories, we objectively become annexationists. That's Lenin discussion on self-determination. The same thing with discussion of self-determination summed up is for 47. And I think um, 45 was the other one was, uh, 45 was the revolution, the socialist revolution and the right to nations to self-determination thesis, right? Um, we, I, I think, I think uh, 48, 48 is pretty important there. Yeah. So um, wait, before, wait, I, wanna, I wanna read 49 real quick. 
Well, I want to read for okay. real quick. So 49 is really short. So 49, I quote, we are opposed to annexations because they violate the right to self-determination of nations. Or in other words, we are, wait, are, are one of the forms of national oppression. Lenin, uh, the discussion on self-determination summed up. That's quote 49. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that um, that's, that's how the U.S. was formed by annexating territory. Um, specifically, yeah. one one of of more than one reason that the um, <clears throat> you, the bourgeois revolution against the uh, the British uh, British governance happened was because the British were stopping them from annexing more territory. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why the U.S. even exists in the state that it does today. And the only reason it's as large as it is today is due to annexing territory, um, both by force and by treaty under duress. And uh, for very simple example, again, to bring it up again, I know I harp on it a lot, but this affected my people directly. So that's why I talk about it frequently. Um, the Sullivan Clinton campaign was happened right after the Revolutionary War and immediately took territory from the Haudenosaunee. And that that decision was made with force. That's an annexation of territory. Whether or not we signed a treaty afterwards saying, okay, you already killed people. You were already killing elders. You were already burning crops. You were already destroying villages. You were already like... <laughs> A treaty signed under duress is fucking useless. And then when you sign a treaty under duress, and then you also don't live up to your end of that treaty, which is how the U.S. operated, it's doubly worth nothing. Yeah. I want to read quote 50. So I think this is a really important one, too. And I quote, the second argument Annexations create a gulf between the proletariat of the ruling nation and that of the oppressed nation. The proletariat of the oppressed nation would unite with the bourgeoisie and would regard the proletariat of the ruling nation as an enemy. Instead of the international class war, the proletariat against the international bourgeoisie, they will be split in the ranks of the proletariat. It will become ideologically corrupted. On the contrary, from this point, um, wait, we can go back. On the contrary, from this point of view, annexation should be regarded as a condition for bringing proletariat of various nations closer together. We say, in order, in order that we may be able to bring socialist revolution and overthrow the bourgeoisie, the worker must unite more closely. And this close unity is facilitated by the struggle of self-determination, i.e. against agonizations. End quote. Lenin, the discussion on self-determination summed up, right? So, you know, people would say this all the time. Pat's, Pat's all say this. Like, if we have decolonization, that the, the settlers and the, and the indigenous would be would be in strife with each other. But this right here, if, the, if people are really communist or they're really Marxist, it shouldn't bring this strife. 
because because settlers should know, especially Marxists should know this is you know this is not about like you know creating two different proletariat. No, we in decolonization and giving land back total sovereignty to to native communities, right? Sovereign nations, right? That. This is what has to be done for liberation. There's no way around it. Obviously, I have all these fucking quotes, right? And you know, and Lenin talks about colonies, so does Stalin, but not in our particular sense, right? But right here, you know, the proletariat of the ruling nation and that of the oppressed nation, right? So the the settlers are the proletariat of a ruling nation. Americans are the proletariat of a ruling nation, man. 100%. And the, the, those of oppressed nations are all the native people here in the US. They're the proletariat or they're, you know, the, 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 the colonized class within the US, right? And um, yeah, I, I think I think we need to we need to talk about that. So anybody, does anybody have words? This, uh, this uh, brings, you know, this actually synthesized something, you know, that's just reading this again, like you're saying, every time you read something, I read books like two or three or four times, you know, before I really absorb stuff, even with taking notes. Um, yeah, so this really synthesized something. It's really about, like you're saying, like colonizers and even non-natives, um, you know, uh, should be with the national identity of being an American as much as we'd like you know, in many, for even those of us who denounce that national identity, um, you know, we are, you know, legal citizens and like, you know, we're in some way or another participating in the colonial project. Uh, those of us who are non-native, we, we should feel a, uh, a revolutionary defeatism. There should be a revolutionary defeatism, especially like you're saying of colonizers. Like they are of the oppressing nation, you know, they're not indigenous. So they should have a strategy and uh, attitude sensibility of uh, revolutionary defeatism. They should want the defeat of the United States by the indigenous nations. And yeah, exactly, exactly like you said, like they are, that they are proletariats of the oppressing nation. And, you know, the indigenous, you know, uh, you know, oppressing you know my my people's nation as well. So like it's yeah, it's like there there are two sides, and much like uh, Fanon touches on, uh, it it can't uh, he elaborates on um, the two things can't be reconciled. Like uh, at the end of the day, that's what they're really asking for is like some sort of reconciliation between the colonial society and indigenous um, nations. And yeah, they should just want revolutionary. They should just be revolutionary defeatists. Mm -hmm. I want to read fifty three. Fifty three is a little long. Before you read... do that, okay. I just want to just want to say that like the way that that's written, um, in case that, that people weren't picking up on it, but I think uh, to me it sounds sounds pretty clear. But you know, you never know. Um, what they're talking about is the different relationship that individuals have to a colonial project right even though we're working class you know as indigenous people and settlers are working class and in their relation to the means of production their relationship to the colonial project 
changes their interests. And that's what they're pointing out there. And it's important for people who have a uh, oppressive uh, or an oppressor relationship with the colonial project to not override those that have the oppressed relationship to the colonial project. That's what that statement is trying to address. Yeah, so I want to read 53, quote 53. Um, and I quote, hence the two sides, the two tendencies in the national question, the tendency toward political emancipations from the shackles of imperialism and towards the formation of the independent national state, a tendency which arose as a consequence of imperialist oppression and, co and colonial exploitation, and that and the tendency towards closer economic relations among nations, which arose as a result of the formation of the world market as a world economic system. For imperialism, these two tendencies represent uh, irre irreconcilable conditions because imperialism cannot exist without exploiting colonies and forcibly retaining them from within the, within the framework of the integral whole because imperialism can bring nations together only by means of annexations and colonial conquests without imperial without wait with without with imperialism is there's a type right there um without imperialism is generally, I, think, I think i think it's without with comma imperialism okay. i think there should have been a comma there without with imperialism is generally speaking inconceivable for communism on the contrary, these tendencies are by two sides of a single cause, the cause of emancipation of the oppressed peoples from the yoke of imperialism, because communism knows that the union of people in a single world economic system is possible only on the basis of mutual confidence and voluntary agreement, and that the road to the formation of a, of a voluntary union of peoples, peoples typo, uh, through separation of the colonies from the interior imperialist whole through the transformation of the colonies into independent states. Hence, the necessity for a stubborn, conscious, and determined okay, stubborn, conscious, and determined struggle against a dominant nation chauvinist chauvinism of the socialists of the ruling nations, Britain, France, America, Italy, Japan, who do not want to fight their imperialist governments, who do not want to support the struggle of the oppressed peoples in their colonies, theirs is in quotes, right? For emancipation from, from some emancipation from oppression for secession. Without such struggle, the education of the working class of the ruling nation in the spirits of true internationalism in the, spirit, in the spirit of closer relations with the toiling masses of the dependent countries and, and colonies, in the spirit of real preparation of the proletarian revolution, is unconceivable. End quote. Foundation, the foundations of Leninism by Stalin. So that shows you right here, right? He's obviously saying that the proletariat of the ruling nations need to support the colonies to become a separate state, right? And that it can only be done through Marxism, right? And um, does anybody have words for this? No, but I think that uh, this is just another excellent, excellent quote here. And um, it's interesting that whenever they try to justify it, they can bring up a single quote from Mao, a single quote from uh, Stalin, 
that really only address the fact that there is a working class present within the American colonial project, which n no anti-colonial communist denies that. And in fact, we seek to win that, that working class mass over uh, to our side. Um, but they, they, they use those two quotes to justify, meanwhile, we have, what, upwards of 60 in this document that um, sim simply destroy any, any attempt to misrepresent those specific uh, quotes that they love to employ. Yeah. Derek, do you have any words before we move to autonomy? No, no, I think that was good. So I'm going to go to autonomy, but I'm going to read the 23 quotes, 54, 55, 56. So I'm just going to read everything that we can go over, okay? So quote 54, a reformist change is one which leaves the foundations of power of the ruling class intact and which is merely a concession by the ruling class that leaves power un unimpaired. A revolutionary, a revolutionary change undetermines the foundation of power. Undermine, my bad, the foundation of power. The reformist proposals in the in the national program do not abolish all the privileges of the ruling nation. They do not establish complete equality. They do not establish national oppression in all its form. An autonomous nation does not enjoy equal rights with the ruling nation. Only by free secession was it equally manifested in practice and proved. And let us add, in parentheses, that is precisely precisely this free secession that created the basis for a more intimate and democratic relationship or friendship founded on equally equality of rights. The essence of reformism lies in mitigating as evil and not destroying it by entirely removed the principal criterion of the revolutionary characters of the FO program. Be it noted in passing that autonomy as a reform, this differs in principle from freedom of secession as a revolutionary measure. This goes without saying, but as everyone knows, in practice, a reform is often merely a step towards revolution. It is precisely, precisely autonomy which enables a nation forcibly retained within the boundaries of a given state to constitute itself completely as a nation. Opportune moment to, to declare, declare independence. The, the last of the quote is like, you know, he gave an example, right? Um, so that's end quote. Uh, it's from the discussion of self-determination summed up by Lenin, quote 55. Uh, self-determination endows a nation with complete rights, whereas national autonomy endows it only with cultural rights. That's Marxism and the national question by Stalin, quote 56. If, it, if national economy was unsuitable now, it will be as more suitable in the future, in, in, in the future socialist society, end quote, Marxism and the national question by Stalin. So right here, I'm going to say some words real quick that, you know, especially quote 54, like they talk about like undoing, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the ruling power, you know, and abolishing by abolishing it, you know, by not abolishing all privileges of a ruling nation. So let's say if, if you know, if settlers become communists and they, you know, and they, be, you know, have communist revolution, and if they say you're autonomous, that still leaves the guardian war relationship from, you know, Cherokee Nation versus Georgia, you know, and, you know, and, and, and Worcester versus Georgia, right? 
though these these concepts of social condensation. And I think, you know, we don't want autonomy. We want the condensation is a separate state and it's abolishing the settler state, abolishing capitalism. You cannot have both at the same time. That's equally to people saying to that's two, two state solution in Palestine. Oh, there's a two state solution, blah, blah, blah. But that's still settler condensation, right? Do you guys have words? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that um, in, in regards to quote 54, um, one of the interesting things there that it talks about <clears throat> is the the freedom of secession and uh, sort of uh, the democratic it uses the term democratic friendship founded on the equality of rights. Um, this is one of the reasons why the model that I propose is a total reclamation of all indigenous land and then an indigenous confederation based on nations so that all political, economic, and cultural autonomy is protected. Not just autonomy in the sense of reformism, but as Lenin described in an earlier quotation, uh, autonomy in all aspects. And the reason why I suggest confederalization is so that we can still maintain the ability to not only provide for each other, trade with each other, but also uh, in terms of defense so that we can uh, defend each other better. Um, this sort of uh, indigenous solidarity, um, don't believe it was in these quotes, but I, I was read something earlier online talking about um, the, the inability for quote unquote tribal governments to, to um, show so, uh, tribal governments and, and, and you know, tribal citizens quote unquote, to share solidarity with other indigenous nations. And I think that that's absolute bullshit. And I see it all the time. I see it all the time. I mean, Rick and I are from two different nations. There's other people that we work with, which are from completely other different nations. Um, and we work together all the time. If one of us is, you know, if one of our wallets is hurting, we help each other out. You know, it's th these kinds of things um, are, are judgments made from far outside. Um, the actual material conditions that we face, uh, sort of uh, the, the settler looking out his window um, to see the street in front of him and believing that he has seen the whole world. Uh, I want to give a little context. Um, the reason why the Lenin, Lenin and Stalin were actually dealing with you know, some degree of decolonization. Um, I don't think we've noted it yet. So the the uh, the policy was Korenizatsia. Uh, um, sorry, my Russian's not good. But like, uh, it means indigenization. So there's the former Russian Empire, uh, you know, you know before the uh, Bolsheviks took power and they after the revolution, they, there is a, a program uh, of indigenization where uh, they, they, the Russian um, dominance, imperial dominance, had to be undone in the uh, in the former uh, Russian colonies, 
So they had to undergo a process of replacing the uh, the the officials and the teachers and, and all sorts of uh, positions in the con- in the country with the indigenous, um, you know, the indigenous peoples. Uh, you know, there's so many. You could imagine that Lenin and Stalin being not ethnically Russian had a lot of sim- sympathy for that. You know, they came from that place of um, that they're, you know, Stalin's home of Georgia, you know, was a Russian colony. So, um, yeah, you you could, so they had as, whether it was the the degree to which it was successful, uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure myself. Like I know that there's a lot of progress made, you know, these, these cultures, these people uh, were able to, you know, reverse a lot of that, uh, Russian dominance that had happened under the czar. Um, uh, but yeah, so th- there was, that's why, j- just to give some context to what Lenin's writing here, because he directly dealt with that issue of decolonization to, to what, yeah, degree of success, I, I, I'm not entirely sure about, but, you know, they, they did have an entire policy of indigenization, as they call it. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, so that not directly applicable to our situation here on this uh, continent, but I feel like it gives you a good idea of like, oh, how like they applied, had to apply in their particular situation. And, you know, we have our particular situation where we have to apply these uh, principles, decolonization. Yeah. And I think if you're a settler, Marxist or whatever, socialist, whatever, you need to stop saying that Native people are going to be, or Native nations are going to be autonomous. No, we're not. We're going to be liberated, have our own separate states. We're not going to, you know, and this quotes, obviously, if you read all these works, you know, you can see that autonomy is anti, and, um, it's anti-Marxist if, if you want to, you know, promote self-determination, right? So the next section is centralism. Right, I'm going to read the three quotes. There's only three quotes. Um, all right, and there's a reason why I put centralism in here. So, quote 57: We demand the freedom of self-determination, i.e., independence, i.e., the separation, the freedom of separation for the oppressed nations, not because we dream of economically atomized world, nor because we cherish the idea of small states, but on the contrary, because we are for larger states, for large states, misspelled right there, large states, and for a coming for a coming closer, even a fusion of nation, but on a truly democratic, truly internationalist basis, which is, which in unthinkable without the freedom of separation, end quote. That's from the revolutionary proletariat and the right of nations to self-determination by Lenin. Quote 58, Marx is a centrist, centralist. only people of full okay okay only people full of petty bourgeois superstitious faith in the state can mistake the destruction of the bourgeois state for the destruction of centralism but will it not be centralism if the proletariat and the poorest peasantry take power of the state in their own hands organize themselves freely into communes and unite the actions of all the communes in striking at capital in crushing the resistance of the capitalists, in the transfer of private property, in railways, factories, and land, and so forth, to entire nation, to, to, to the whole society, question mark, will that not be 
the most consistent democratic centralism, question mark, and the proletarian centralism at that? Bernstein simply could not conceive the possibility of voluntary centralism, a voluntary union of the communes into a nation, of a voluntary fusion of the proletarian communes in the process of destro uh, destroying bourgeois supremacy and the bourgeois state machinery. Marx, as to he foresaw the possibility of perversion of his ideas, pur purposely emphasized the accusation against the commune that it desired to destroy the unity of a nation, of the nation to do away with a central power was a de deliberate falsehood. Marx purposely uses the phrase to organize the unity of the nation as to co contract conscious democratic proletarian centralist to, to bourgeois, military bureaucratic centralist, sorry. But no, but no one is so deaf he who will not hear the opportunist of contemporary social democracy do not on any account want to hear of destroying state power, cutting off the parasite, end quote. This is the revolution by Lenin, quote 59. From the point of view of the proletariat and the proletariat revolution, Engels like Marx insist on democratic centralism on one indivisible republic. The federal republic he considers either as an exception or his hindrance to development or as a transitional form from a monarchy to a centralized republic as a step forward under certain special conditions. And among these special conditions, the national question arises. And the reason why I brought up, uh, that was, sorry, I'm sorry, that was from Stand Revolution by Lenin, uh, quote 59. The reason why I brought this up is because the idea that I brought forward of like a, of a decolonial Senate with one representative from each native nation, right, sovereign nation, is literally, it's literally centralism, right? Is everybody, if you replace communes, the idea of communes, right, getting together, voluntarily fusing, it's a big, it's a bigger state. So you imagine a, a decolonial Senate with, with, with indigenous nations, not just from the U.S., but from Mexico and Canada, that's over 1,200 nations together. That's very centralist, right? So these people that are talking about balkanizing uh, the U.S. And I always say, I don't agree with that. I don't, I hate that term too, right? But I don't agree with like, oh, they're, you're, you're trying to balkanize the U.S. No, I'm not. I think Rainer said this during like the, his his um, his uh, uh, debate with Hot that he believes in balkanizing the U.S. It's almost impossible because a lot of our territories overlap. You know, and you can't just draw boundaries and like this is my boundary, this is my boundary. Like boundaries with or like territories within indigenous concept is totally different from what it is in, in fucking Europe, where you know borders on that shit. I'm gonna have a whole episode about that, right? So you know, uh, a decolonial de senate with one representative from each uh, indigenous sovereign nation is centralism. 100%. And for people to be against this, especially settlers, they are anti-Marxist, right? But if that, does anybody have words? So, yeah. No, I, I agree fully with your uh, your position there. Yeah, this, um, just to give people a shout out, if they want to dig deeper into these concepts, this is something that uh, Luazi uh, Lushuba touched on in his um, lectures that I um, 
that I was uh, listening to, and uh, he he touches on that very subject that um, he goes, it gets pretty deep. He goes into a lot of references, but uh, he, he talks about uh, Lenin uh, being influenced by, or, or Marx being influenced by, you know, France, republicanism in France, and how France, um, or how uh, Africa, in Africa, because he's African and he talks a lot about colonization in Africa, how France, uh, how that French concept of a republic is pretty alien to Africans, which is, you know, what you're saying exactly applies to this continent as well. It's like an alien concept of governance. If people could have a little imagination and understand that, you know, we don't, uh, not all systems of governance are going to look the same necessarily at all because of the the historical material conditions, you know, in, in a, a, a given culture. Like in China, they uh, operate on their Mandarin system of governance. You know, it's chi- it's socialism with Chinese characteristics, and they have a very specific form of governance. He was speaking about also like how the the european division of of peoples just yeah just not applying so that it, it's why the the idea of republic of a republic just doesn't really apply to africa because it's trying to divide people into these uh these groups where they don't really fit so i think what he, what you know and he, you can be sure that he's a pan africanist a lot of these pan-Africanists hold this idea that, you know, and he gets into it, a lot of the conflicts you see in Africa, the, uh, you know, in quote-unquote inter-ethnic uh, conflicts are of European, they're because of European borders, borders drawn by Europeans, and how, and you can imagine that as Muammar Gaddafi tried to to do in Africa to create a United Nations, uh, a United States of Africa that is all, you know, governed, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of regional, uh, regional autonomy, you know, implied in that, obviously. So, uh, but, but, you know, you can imagine that's probably the same thing that would happen here. Like, you know, that's obviously it, Borders don't apply here the way that they do in as a European concept of a republic. Uh, it just doesn't apply. So, yeah, you could imagine there would be a very specific form of governance here on this uh, on this continent that would be um, centralist, as you're saying. Like it would have to be, you know, a lot of different nations uh, conferring with each other uh, to govern. I agree. You know, um, does anybody have anything before we go with population? I asked. I said what I have to say about centralism. Are we good? No, all that was was on point. You, know, you right. guys made excellent points there. So on population, this is you know I'm going to read. This, it's just two quotes. Um, quote sixty. Of course, uh, growth of population does influence the development of society. 
does facilitate or hinder the development of society, but it cannot be the chief force of development of society. And its influence on the, of, on the development of society cannot be the determining influence because by itself, growth of population does not furnish the clue to the question why a given social system replaces precisely by which and such a new system and not by another, why the primary primitive communal system is succeeded precisely by the slave system, by the feudal system, uh, and the feudal system by bourgeois system and not by another. That's end quote. That's uh, historical materialism by Stalin. Quote 61, the first dogma concerning conditions for seizure of power for, by the proletariats, the opportunities assert that the proletariat cannot outright take power unless it constitutes a majority in the, in the country. No proofs are brought forward for that, or there are no proofs that either the theoretical or practical that can bear out this absurd thesis. Let us assume that this is so. Lenin replies to the gentleman of, of the Second International, but suppose a historical situation has arisen, a war, agrarian crisis in which the proletariat constituting a majority of the population has an opportunity to rally around itself itself the mass majority of the laboring masses why should sorry, it not just be... it, it, those are minority just for the listeners um oh, my, the, sorry. Pro, the pro, proletariat constituting a mi minority of the population that's kind of important because yeah but sorry so quote 61 um the first way quote 61 First dogma concerning the conditions of seizure power. Wait, I think, sorry, yeah, I got cut off. And I think, um, I think I read half of this already. So quote 61 is pretty much saying that we don't need the, you know, the, um, we don't need to be the majority, right? As long as we, 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 we uh, have solidarity with other people, right? So it's, you know, the end of the quote says, has not the practical experience of the Russian proletarian revolution shown that this very dogma of heroes of the section, second international is devoid of all vital significance of the proletariat? Question mark. Is it not clear that the practical experience of the revolutionary struggle of the masses refused and smashes this absolute dogma? It's from, end quote, uh, it's from uh, the foundations of Leninism Stalin. And this is why I put this here is because when I was, you know, reviewing all my all my notes. I saw these two quotes and there's other other little quotes. I didn't put all the quotes. I mean, I, there was a, so many other quotes I could have put it on there. But I think um, this is the, the, the same shit that, especially that fucking wannabe czar, right? Person that we, we all know about, that that person told me that it's impossible for decolonization because, um, you know, native people, you know, or, or only 1% of the population and blah, blah, blah. But right here it says that that's just a matter, you know, from, from Stalin, two different works from the foundations of Leninism and from historical materialism, right? Do you have any words? Anybody have words? Yeah, I'll, I'll say that, the, yeah, it's just that he's a populist, right? And that should be like, that should be, you know, if you have, you know, been studying and, Doing your due diligence and and been around, you know, our our fellow like well-read comrades, like you should know that populism is not a Marxist, um, you know, strategy. Like it's it's not a Marxist 
the stance like we're we're not populists we've realized that in every you know as as lenin is uh alluding to here it's it's a minority of people who do the revolution you know you have to have that's why there's so much uh theory about you know how to have the support of the people and be among the people and derive your lines from the people but there is like you know there's so much nuance there's that's it has to be elaborated on on so much by you know our theorists because they're trying to explain why you're it's not populism though like you know it's like yeah you get your ideas from the people you know you address their concerns but you're not like the people are not the revolutionary party necessarily you know the, the are not the uh dictating everything that happens in the party because you know populism yeah if you go by populism in russia it, the the masses like did not the the bolshevik party did not was not comprised of the entire masses of the russian empire like it was a very small group of people uh in in every case of revolution you know it's not the entire population doing the revolution it is a you know a, a small cadre you know relative to the to the population of you know the 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 country or um yeah it's it's never a populist movement it's never been a populist movement uh you know communist movements like they've never been populist they've always been relative to the population small uh and everywhere cuba um everywhere every, everywhere where, where there's been a revolution it wasn't the you know the entirety of the masses and that so like to think he uses populism to justify his you know frankly social conservative leanings uh because he's like well the average american is you know i i I am not shy about calling the average American a fascist. I do not see too much enough difference between uh, the average American attitude and the Nazi German to where that's ridiculous to say that, you know, they're fascist by whatever that definition means. And to derive party, you know, political lines from just whatever the average American thinks or says is, uh, you know, you're supposed to be you're supposed to be addressing their concerns and their reality of what actually affects them, which is being oppressed under settler colonial capitalism. But it doesn't mean hating being a bigot or, uh, you know, like um, any other form of reactionary thought that, that is prevalent in the American masses, and especially, yeah, this is an especially uh, backwards country, uh, you know, settler colony. Uh, Victor, do you have anything to say before we move forward on the population or no? No, no, you guys, I think you guys covered it pretty well. So at number eight, I'll go real quick right now then, because number nine has uh, one quote on national antipathies. National antipathies, is how you say it? Antipathies is a fucking weird-ass word. Would have disappeared so quickly. The hatred and perfect perfect legitimate legitimate hatred of an oppressed nation for its oppressor will continue for a while 
it will evaporate only after the victory of socialism and after the establishment of a completely democratic relationship between two nations. If, if we desire to be faithful to socialism, we must educate the masses in internationalism now, which is impossible in oppressing nations without preaching freedom of secession or oppressed nation, end quote. That's uh, the discussion on self-determination summed up by Lenin. Uh, that's when you have one quote. So I think, um, yeah, um, that's, but it shows you, the, the reason I put this quote here is because, you know, like sellers are like, oh, you know, use hate, use hate sellers. I had that, we had that one guy that we also saw, you know, that one guy that we just started going bonkers on, on, on on uh, on Derek, like oh you're too much on you know on on sellers. Gerald Horn hates hates white people, and it's all this weird shit. You know we hate white people. It's like it's not even about that shit. But you know if you really want to take if you really want to be dogmatic about that, you know Stalin, not Stalin, it's uh, Lenin said that you know it's perf perfectly legitimate. I don't hate sellers, right? But it will, you know, it will evaporate only that after the victory of socialism, after decolonization. So how about you help me decolonize, and I won't be so fucking uh, have you know this this animosity towards you. Plain and simple, right? That's all I have to say about that. Anybody have yeah. words before we move forward? Yeah, it's just home policing and gaslighting and uh, victim blaming is really uh, what that and all just amounts to. And if we read Fanon, Fanon talks about like standing over fucking cellular corpses, cadavers, and shit like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you had... <laughs> Go ahead. It's just they have a colonial mentality. It's like there's no two ways about it. It's just like if that's the way you see it, if you see the the uh the violence of this is literally like the whole big section in Wretched of the Earth that this person supposedly understands when they read it. Uh, you know, is it's about the it's just like yeah, it's violent. It's a violent phenomenon. Decolonization is a violent phenomenon. Like it's like a like he he goes in so much into so much depth about the the psychology and the attitudes of the colonized. It's like colonized people are not like you know they're not trying to be nice about it. You know, it's like you know you get past that. You know, when you have the revolution, it's just like yeah, dude. You know. I'm sorry that white people colonized the world. And now like we're in this situation. It's just like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you think it's, uh, it's just say these people are get, get mad when you even say the word settler colonialism, use the term. They, they, they are averse to that word. Um, which is, it's just ridiculous. That, that premise is yeah. ridiculous to, to be averse to that word, to that terminology and use it. They, and, I'd like to say that these per people will, they deflect by focusing on imperialism because that way they can abstract themselves from it. They can be like, oh, well, look at what the United States empire, which I have abstracted myself from, uh, does over there. You know, it's the, it's a way for them to uh, ignore what the empire does, you know, it, in its core, uh, which is... Yeah, you know, I I don't understand how anyone can be can expect themselves to be taken seriously when that's their approach and um, their understanding. Victor, do you have something to say? Yeah, yeah, I do actually. I, I was going to say that um, last thing you said there is about them focusing on anti-imperialism, specifically to uh, you know abstract from issues within the internal colony. 
that is by and large the whole patriotic socialist movement in general um regardless of how many splits that it's had at this point um and i think um that is specifically pulled from the the larouche cult um which used anti-imperialism to recruit uh easy marks um and i think that there's a specific reason for that i mean you you sort of touched on it but i think there's a specific reason that they focus on anti-imperialism um and that being that it's probably one of the easiest things to do performatively um meaning to not actually have any real effect on the issue that they're claiming to be opposed to um they don't really have to do a lot of work they just have to say some fancy words and you know uh wave a a flag of whatever nation they're pretending to be an ally of and people fall for it every time um and it's not necessarily just patriotic socialists but also um you know quote unquote journalists um you know people like uh, jimmy Dore, people like max blumenthal their anti-imperialism is very performative um it it's only at at best it's uh i should say at best it's performative and at worst it's it's objectively an, an attempt to mislead uh the working class and of course you find this in caleb Maupin, you find this in uh, Haas, you find this in people like Peter Coffin, Fox G. Green, um, the the people that orbit these individuals. You find it in Max Blumenthal. You find it in Jimmy Dore. You find it in that the People's Party. You find it in PC USA. Um, and you, you even find it in a, in, a, in attempts to infiltrate more reputable uh, socialist parties. Um, and and I think that it's important to not just accept somebody who's anti-imperialist into your uh, circle without fully understanding where they stand on 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 issues. One hundred percent. Can we go on to the next topic of colonization? I think it's the last topic. Yeah, please. All right. So colonization. The three quotes are colonial policy and imperialism existed before the latest stage of capitalism and even before capitalism. This is uh, end quote. This is uh, imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism by Lenin. Uh, Essex quest quote 63, quote 64 is colonial possession along, alone gives complete guarantee of success to the monopolies against all the risk of struggle with competitors, including the risk of the latter will defend themselves by means of a law establishing a state monopoly. The more capitalism is developed, the more the need for raw materials is felt, the more bitter competition becomes, and the more feverishly the hunt for raw materials proceeds throughout the whole world, the more desperate becomes the struggle for acquisition of colonies." End quote. This is imperialism by Lenin, quote 65, is the division of world the division of the world into two main groups, the colony owning countries on one hand and the colonies on the other. It's not typical, it's not the typical of this period. 
There is also a variety of forms of dependent countries, countries which officially are politically independent, but which are in face enmeshed in net of financial diplomatic dependence because we already have we, we, we have already referred to one of the forms of dependence, the semi-colony, this end quote by imperialism by Lenin, right? Uh, this is like us, diplomatic dependence, right? It's like what we have here right now. We, we're like, you know, we, we're like in a cage, diplomatic fucking cage, you know? Um, does anybody have words about the, the colonial aspects that Lenin said? Yeah, I'll touch on, um, so this part, uh, this is from uh, imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism. Um, for for those who don't know where, uh, Mar where Lenin got his ideas on what inspired this text, uh, it was um, Hobson, Hobson's uh, J. A. Hobson's Imperialism: A Study, uh, where the, it gets into uh, the economic. You know, it's it's where this uh, this class reductionist um, kind of. I feel like the root of the class reductionist element in the concept of imperialism is because uh, Hobson was, you know, not a Marxist. So his concept of, of imperialism, like was first and foremost, uh, that it's an economic phenomenon, which, you know, is, is not untrue, entirely untrue. You know, it's, uh, it's, it is a way for capital to expand into new markets. Uh, that's what that whole text is about. Uh, Lenin's text, um, uh, you know, Hobson touches on that, but like, so it doesn't, but it doesn't really flesh out its, its characteristics as it really exists in the concrete, you know, as it exists like in the colonies themselves, which are the, you know, the, the, victims of imperialism. Uh, so, yeah, in that, in that part there, that's, you know, all parts of, uh, of Lenin's imperialism. He, he talks a lot about, you know, the, the economic aspects of it, right? So the, the monopolies and the, you know, lack of competition, uh, of struggle with co competitors um he doesn't really touch too much on colonialism or settler colonialism like there at the end you know the semi-colony you know where he's uh you know the dependent colony um it's just like it's i think this is where you know it's lenin's imperialism is like a little incomplete and why the, some later theorists are so important, like Fanon, because it's it's not entirely, you know, his uh, the way he writes about imperialism isn't it's not entirely complete, I guess. Is um, and this is something that I've recently been learning about from again, Doctor uh, uh, Lashuba, um, 
he goes into detail about this uh, and Hobson's influence on Lenin. And, uh, you know, just, uh, I recommend checking out his lectures for those who really want to dig deeper into this. So I'll say, sorry. I do want to say that imperialism right away within the first pages, first page, uh, Lenin talks about that, uh, in, a, in, a, in a quote right here, in a quote, we should now be, we should not be able to deal with non-economic aspects of the question, however much, however much they deserve to be dealt with, end quote. This means like, you know, the, the topic of uh, uh, imperialism, so he's in, in, in the book imperialism, he's talking about the economic aspects of imperialism, not the other aspects of its imperialism, like cultural, you know, like politically military imperialism, right? So like, exactly. he, he says himself in the very first fucking page, right? So people that are class reductionists, they think that imperialism is just capitalism. You're running amok. Yes, it's part of it. But there's other aspects, stages of imperialism. There are things that happened before. Were the Romans not imperialist? You know what I'm saying? Like they were, right? Certain 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 empires were, like you know, uh, Alexander the Great and all these other people, right? So we have to understand that imperialism has different faces. It's not just capitalism. It's also cultural imperialism because white supremacy is cultural imperialism, right? Right? It's like a racist exactly. imperialism. So we no, you know, we can't, you know, just say that. I'll, I do also want to say. I want to really quick, really touch really quick on essentialism. You know, there's a lot of talk about international internationalism, right? And how, like, we need you know we need to be internationalists, like you know have solidarity with other revolutionary groups. But I think with on this continent, since there's over a thousand two hundred nations within this continent of indigenous sovereign nations, right? We have to be intra nationalist internationalist is abroad intra is within intranationalists right so for decolonization to happen is you know i think we need to start using the first intranationalists right and this includes the black sovereign nation you know new africa right so i mean like we have to it's, it's very simple if you if you know the difference between inter intra, it's really easy to adapt these, these words. And I, and I don't mean fucking plurinationalism, okay? <laughs> I mean internationalism because we are sovereign nations, right? I'm not trying to make a, a decolonial state where like it's just like fucking um, Bolivia or Venezuela. We talk. I talk about that many times. How I think those systems are flawed. Flawed, one hundred percent, right? They do, they are on the left, but it's not my place to question them. But I don't want that system here. I don't, right? I, I think what we need to. Mean, right? You don't, you don't want to be ruled by the U.S. government and just the Cherokee. <laughs> no, but I just don't want a system where settlers can have like a political have political rights to a point where they can do coups and overthrow people like Evo Morales, right, or Hugo Chavez. Right, like thinking, like, oh, we're. I think that video you sent me, Derek, kind of talks talk, talk touched about that the EFF video, right? How like settlers go from being like the you know obviously you know the colonizers to like regular citizens, and they're still influencing power within the states, like it goes like in South Africa, right? And I don't, I don't play that shit. Just like these quotes here, we have to abolish settler nationalism, abolish you know, bourgeoisie nationalism, and we have to make sure it can't come back. And the systems in South America, my point of view, they let that shit run amok. 
right? They let the bourgeois run amok. They, that's why Hugo Chavez, you know, for all, all the way to he passed away, was dealing with propaganda. All those TV channels that rich people were owning, they were always broadcasting anti-Hugo Chavez propaganda, right? And if I was Hugo Chavez, I wouldn't have put up with that shit, in my point of view. But you know, how do you deal with that shit? I think I think socialism in South America has some flaws in it. But like I said again, I'm not here to be like, oh, they're bad. Don't don't support them. Don't have solidarity. We should have solidarity. But it, but what I'm saying is, if we can learn from those flaws and adapt it to decolonization here, because I am not playing with fucking settlers. The end. <laughs> so, any thoughts before we close out? Oh, I was I just going to say, oh, go ahead, please. Go ahead, Derek. I was just going to say that I think that, that uh, you know, that that's an idea that, uh, you know, Huey Newton's intercommunalism, uh, inter, uh, I think, is a very similar, like, uh, theory and, and approach where it's, um, you know, I think, I think that applies a lot to that zone, just to, just to reference that real quick. And also just to, uh, you know, just to get, hit people with that again, uh, Professor Luwazi Lushuba, um, he's in the EFF uh, in South Africa. Uh, yeah, he's he's really, uh, I, I would like to do an episode with him or something, you know, maybe, uh, um, maybe if we could get him on, that'd be awesome. But yeah, he really, um, he, he does a good job, like you were saying, Rick, of uh, breaking down the theory uh, and and addressing this from you know a theory standpoint and all the relevant theorists to to decolonization um i think a lot of it because of south africa's specific settler colonial conditions where they have fewer europeans there but like somewhat similar you know I, you know i think now europeans on this continent are now below they're not the majority anymore as to my understanding you know below 50 percent so they have like about half this half the settlers that the, uh in south africa that there are here they're 20 it's about 21 i think or 22 percent um europeans in south africa uh but they have all of this the social and political power in south africa that's why i think a lot of what the eff does uh really it, it has so many parallels to this continent in that it is another settler colonial situation and their theorists and their revolutionaries there are people i think those of us in the united states have a lot to learn from in their theory and their praxis i do want to say really quick that we didn't read uh, quote 32 but um i, I want to read part of it really, really quick and it's a uh, quote 32. It says the actual identity of chauvinists and those social dem of and those social democrats, particularly the social democrats of the great power, great Russians, Anglo-Americans, German, French, Italian, Japanese, who failed to, to champion, let me say champion is spelled, champion the freedom of secession for the colonies and nations uh oppressed by their own nations. Uh they just seen calls them fucking chauvinist right so i'm saying quote 32 but he says anglo he says fucking anglo-americans in it right so he you know this, this is uh the socialist revolution and the rights and the right of nations to self-determination theses by lenin um victor do you have anything to say i think you were saying something 
Uh, first, I want to address that quote you just read. So e even back then, Lenin understood there that that the, the the black people of the United States were not of the same uh, economic class relation to the means of production and the uh, relations to the colonial project, which is something that every anti-colonial communist should understand and carry. And then further, um, what you were sort of uh, touching on at the end there, um, before you went back to that, was, I may have lost it. Was it internationalism? Yes, plurinationalism. That's right. That was that was the topic we were on. Sorry. Um, I think it's one of the interesting things and why this is a terrible model is that a lot of the people that push for this model um, sort of try to uh, establish indigenous people as a monolith uh, based on phenotypes. And obviously, with the amount of nations in North and South America, which is as Rick was saying earlier, over 1,000 different nations. Um, establishing us as some kind of monolithic entity based on phenotypes um, is it's dangerously close to actually creating an ethno state. It's very it's it's a very, that's a very right wing idea, even if you're approaching it from a left position. Um, and I would argue that. Uh, in the examples that we have of plurinationalism, you have this sort of genericization of the indigenous mass. Um, sort of, a, uh, even though these these cultures still exist in these nations and, and with their with their own cultural differences, um, in terms of their political power, they are. Um, they sort of operate as one generic mass. Which is again not not true sovereignty over over your nation's affairs, um, and it's just a shit model. It really is just a shit model. Like I understand what they were trying to do, but they they fucked it up. <laughs> yeah. So really quick, really quick answer, yes or no. Uh, I'll ask you, Victor, first, since you're talking right now. Um, do you think if Lenin or Stalin were alive with the development of theory, would they support decolonization here in the U.S.? I think uh, objectively, I think it's fairly obvious within the, these these quotes that are in this document here. Um, and I think it's fairly obvious in their work. I mean, even as early as the foundation of the Third International, um, that, that seems obvious to me. So... I, I'm not even sure that they would need it necessarily as much as they um, didn't quite have the language that we have now. You know, obviously, a lot of new words have been uh, created to explain these phenomenon, as happens throughout Marxism. Um, every time we realize a new contradiction, we come up with a way to describe it. So. I, I think on a like I think it's a one hundred percent like there's no chance that they wouldn't. Okay, Derek, what do you think? Yes or no? Do you think Lenin or Stalin will support the idea of decolonization? 
if they were alive today and with the evolution of theory with like Fanon and everybody? I, I think they would be. Um, if if Lenin, if we could hand a copy of the Great Father to Lenin, you know, I think he would uh you'd be like, oh yeah, for sure, you know, decolonize the continent. You'd uh you would understand if you had the right resources, uh the the history that we have today, which I think we all have to remember that we have more resources than Lenin had. Uh you know, I think he would he would come to the same conclusions because Marxism is a science and it's not a dogma. And, you know, these are the conclusions you should come to as long as you don't have a Euro colonial bias. Uh, you know, as Fanon said, you know, the attitude or sensibilities of a European. Um, this, these are the conclusions. Decolonization is the conclusion you should come to. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like I said, if I were, if I were to say something, I would say yes, I agree they would support the colonization. I think they, they didn't understand the contradictions here, but they were so focused, you know, I think Lenin passed before World War II, from my understanding, and Stalin was busy with a war, and, you know, and he passed after. So I think, you know, um, if that war didn't happen, I think, especially Stalin's theory would be a lot more sharper, right, um, than it is now. But, you know, things happen for a reason, I think. Now we can look at the purpose of this, uh, is to see, is to take their their works, you know, and to kind of like stretch it and apply it here. And we don't even have to stretch it that much, to be honest, right? We just have to read it and see that, that you know, separation, first that the right self-discrimination and the right separation, the right to have its own state, we have to smash the, the settler state, Right, we need to, to like combat chauvinism. Autonomy is not annexation is not acceptable with the Marxism. Uh, centralism is is that that is the same thing as the decolonial states. Uh, population, you know, we don't need to be the most populous people. And you know, colonization, they don't touch about it much. They touch they touch about it, but like I feel like it's up to us as uh, you know to use di dialectical materialism to. Um, <clears throat> answer these questions ourselves, you know? And I think, I hope people that are listening know, I hope they read all these things. First off, you can, you know, I hope you will read all this, you know, for yourselves, all these documents, right? Don't just take my word for it. Read all these things yourself. The document is going to be in the share drive. I'm gonna make a new folder called documents. I'm gonna put this document in there so you can go and see quoted sources included and we go all to A all the way to L and and read all this yourselves right and a lot some of these you can find audiobooks on youtube i don't know not all of these um i think the, the, the most common ones are like state and revolution what is to be done imperialism some stalin works are in there i'm not sure if every everything's there but i think you know you can find them listen to them you know read along with it and i think you know if they were alive they'll be agreeing with us to fucking smoking a big ass j with us so you know what whatever man so <laughs> people that are anti-weed would be like, what, foam me at the mouth right now. But I think um, yeah, I think the for... main person we know that's anti-weed is <laughs> Big Pothead. <laughs> exactly. That's why we're saying it. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah. Does anybody have closing questions, remarks, and or questions, whatever, before we uh, stop this episode? I think we went for over two hours, almost three hours. No, no, no I, th I think we're good. I think we covered quite a bit. So, okay. 
Eric, same. before we close now. Okay. Same, yeah. Stop sharing. Th thank you again, Rick, for. Uh, oh. Yeah, we're here. Nice. I was just going to say thank you on the stream, but they're on the recording, but. No, we're still, for we're, putting... we're still recording. Oh, okay. We're still oh, recording. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you for uh, putting this together. The the What you compiled here is, um, uh, that's a lot of work. I know, you know, I was obviously talking to you throughout the process. I hope people appreciate uh, how much work you did putting all the, compiling those uh, excerpts. Um, yeah. And that goes with a bigger project. I'm writing a whole thing. And right now I have like crazy, like 30 pages of, of content for, I might even close to being done on, on a subject for an, on a, on an article on decolonization. So like, um, yeah, and, I, and I'm going through all my books, all my notes, and I don't know when I'm going to be done, but um, it is a process, man. It is a fucking huge process. And I'm, I'm doing my part before I, I touch other people in the group, right? They're part of this group project but i want to do my part first and then so we can compare contrast notes i just want to um i'm just been diving diving for this last month especially this last month i've been working this project real slowly but i think been dragging my feet but for the last month of of, Mar of was it what was it? march yeah i've been just every day i wake up go on these books i pull things out i reread stuff you know and i fucking sometimes i talk to people on the phone or, or video chat and i i think Derek, you're one of them i ask questions like hey man what do you think about this shit, this concept am i over am i overreacting you know on this and that and i think um yeah so like i said if you think i'm being disingenuous anybody you can read this shit for yourself so just read it for yourself man so all right we're, we're gonna end it here yeah, right, don't, just, don't make a spine check you <laughs> we're gonna yeah. look at your bookshelf and we're gonna see where you're bullshitting Actually, some of this stuff is for free too online on marxist.org, right? You can find almost everything on that website, right? I have these books, right? I, I've had some of these books on hold for a long time. Some of them, I, I actually found out that I have uh, more than I thought because some of them are collected works, right? So, like, it's like, oh shit, it was in here. So I didn't until recently. I was like, oh shit, I didn't know that was in here. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. I, I, I kept all my books. From you know, from 20 years ago, <laughs> my wife was like, "Get rid of your, get rid of your books." I was just like, "No, the sacred text, no." So you know, <laughs> but yeah, time to go. Cool. Thank, thank you guys for your time. I appreciate everything. So I'm gonna stop recording right now. Where is stop record? Right there. <laughs>